Welcome to Let's Face the Facts, the rewatch podcast for the classic sitcom, The Facts of Life. Join us each week as we synopsize, analyze, criticize, and ultimately idolize the show. And now, here's your host of Let's Face the Facts, the wonderful David Almeida! Welcome back. It's another week, another show. Thank you for downloading and pressing play. <sighs> this is the end. This is it. Hi, Matthew. Hi, David. H- how are you holding up, babe? This is it. It's <laughs> over. This is the end. What are we going to do? We We have to go out and get lives after this now, I guess, huh? Oh, I hated everything about it. (laughs) (laughs) Well, that laughter you hear in the background is our very special guest. And what a special guest for a very special episode. The return of James Brendlinger. Welcome. Thank you so much, guys. I really appreciate it. Um, I was the person who uh, was with you on the last episode of the first season. And you had asked me if there are any other special episodes that I'd be interested in coming in on and got to do a couple of those. And uh, I never dreamed I'd be the one you'd pick for the final, final episode, but you did. And I really appreciate it. Wow. Yeah. I was told you'd be shirtless, but I mean, that's one of the, (laughs) one of the, one of the reasons I agreed to this. And I feel like just like this episode, I have been misled. (laughs) And greatly disappointed. It's a podcast. I might be sure. You never know. <laughs> and we don't know whether he has pants on or not. We cannot see below there. But but anyway, 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 back to the matter at hand. Season nine, episode 24, the beginning of the beginning, which had an original air date of May 7th of 1988. The final broadcast, the final countdown. My goodness. Just like the theme song says, David, You take the good, you take the bad. Yeah. And this is, we were talking last week, James, we recorded last week's show just last night. So we're 24 hours fresh with our thoughts about part one. (laughs) And we were saying this about last week's episode where we're like, oh, we, it's fine. You want to do a backdoor pilot? You want to try to give Lisa Welchel her own show? We will not fight you on that producers but you couldn't have given a fitting better send-off to this show and the characters we've been with for eight and nine years it was really really quite a letdown what are your thoughts uh, on this in general james and did you watch part one before you watch this one yes so i have a lot of thoughts and even more feelings so i will share those quickly with you uh, i watched all of season nine in preparation for this and, um, Jesus Christ. I, wow. yeah, oh, my cool. God. Holy shit. I, um, <laughs> if you try to look back and create what might have been a Bible for this season, clearly they were trying to everybody's going to get uh, a hint of what's next. And there's some OK episodes doing that. I like seeing Tootie and Jeff get engaged and you start seeing what their marriage might look like. And Natalie and Snake have their moment and she's going to go on to New York and Joe randomly marries someone I find totally unappealing and inappropriate for, but whatever. Uh, you know, they're they're looking toward next steps for everybody, and that's good. Um, season nine's opening with the um, 
the pictures showing how much they had grown up. I mean, that that's really cool. I remember when that was, uh, you know, the first episode and he got to see the new opening pictures. I love that. I thought they did such a nice job with that. They updated them partway through the season when they added Pippa, which we can talk about separately. Um, <laughs> I thought that part was really cool. And it seemed to me like all those things should spell out. We're going to make a really beautiful send off for all these all these people. And then at the end of the season, they just, what a mess the end of the season is. Um, when I was uh, watching this the first time in the eighties, I made facts of life a priority seriously um, for seven years. I caught the last episode of the first season. I think I was in third or fourth grade. I never missed it again, but the ninth season I had a car and I had to get a job. And so I was um, taping them and doing as best as I could, but I missed some episodes the first time around. I didn't know why Pippa was there, for instance. It was just suddenly this Australian girl. Um, Nobody does know, by the way. I've never been more disappointed in a TV show I cared about than when they did the Blair episode with her facial injury. Oh, yeah. I remember telling my mom, you won't believe what the Facts of Life did. They bashed her face in. It's going to be totally different for her from now on. And the next week... Not even a mark. And it would have cost them nothing to put a bandage on her for a few weeks. There was only a few weeks left, all of which were terrible. They were horrible episodes. Um, but they had a, I don't know. I know back then they you didn't want to change too much or people won't understand in syndication. But come on, like, why why do something like that? That was so meaningful. And I'm not positive. I love Lisa Welchel. And I know she's listening. And I, I'm not 100% sure she was actually up to the dramatics that she had to do for that episode. And maybe that was part of it was, you know, that was not her forte. She said in interviews, she enjoyed the fun physical comedy episodes more than the serious issue of the week ones, but she had some really nice moments in there. I had forgotten that was Paul Provenza who was her boyfriend at the time. And that was kind of cool to see him in a role like that. Cause that's not how I think of him at all. Mm -hmm. um, anyway, season nine, looked like it could have started off to be a great season and they just it's insane i mean the, the things they choose to do on the yeah. flip side when i was a kid i didn't appreciate what a tremendous actress um cloris leachman is and mm -hmm. she you know that's not great material but for instance the episode in season nine where a younger man is interested in dating her with the intention to marry and she lets him know at the end of the episode that you know she's good she, she's enjoying her life on her own and she really made something out of those moments um he walks out the door and she quietly says it is getting late and that's how the episode ends and man she just nailed it um mm -hmm. so i did appreciate her a lot more as an adult watching the show as a kid i was just annoyed mrs garrett was gone and who is this person um <laughs> i see at least the acting is good like she she knows what to do even when the scene, the scene isn't giving her much to work with so that's oh, yeah. my old all about season nine. We can dig in about these episodes, but um, the beginning of the end, I wish I could have, I, I've caught up with your podcast, but of course that one's not released yet as I'm recording this with you. I will assume you were as appalled as I was at just about everything that was happening there. And oh, I, yes. as, uh, I think I'm famous now for coming on and rewriting all the episodes in retrospect. And I'll, I'll do that <laughs> in a little while, but this could be salvaged. There's some good stuff, you know, a little, there's kernels of good stuff there. They just they they spoiled the ending of their own se of their own series. I think that's yes. my answer. 
<laughs> we we did some rewriting, absolutely, and I will tell you, uh, yeah, appalled is is one of the many emotions and thoughts that were felt during uh, the the show, and I have not edited it yet, but the raw footage is two solid hours, <laughs> two full hours that might might be able to be chopped down to an hour and a half, so it's going to be a long episode. <laughs> And whoever's listening to this will know in hindsight, it's like people of the future. You now already know how long last week's show was. At this point, we don't know. Ooh. Well, let's get started with talking about this episode, much as we don't want to for both the reason of it not being very good and the fact that we, when we finish talking about this, there's no more. There's no more to talk about. Holy shit. But uh, let's get to it, James Brendlinger. This is when we ask our guest to be put on the spot and provide a one to two sentence synopsis of the entire episode, similar to a listing you might read in a TV guide. Go. For the last time, James. <laughs> For the last time. Well, Blair has decided to purchase Eastland to save it from closing and spends every moment of her time there being sexually harassed while the future stars of tomorrow will be her new students. And every once in a while, we will jarringly cut to what's happening back at the house. That's my synopsis. That is exactly right, 100%. And particularly this episode, when we do cut back to the house at the end, there is kind of a, a oh shit, I, I guess we gotta do something with them. We, hey. Hey, Irma, write a scene, write, write a quick scene so we can get them wrapped up. Like, it is such an afterthought. It is so, so unbefitting. And ugh. anyway. Well, I can't wait. I can't wait to talk about the Mindy Cohn moment at the end. That if I was her agent or her lawyer, oh. I would have something to say about what happened at the end of the series with, wow. I, we have felts that need to be fielded there. <laughs> absolutely. We'll get so here are the facts, facts. And for the last time. That's <laughs> also for the last time. Yes, correct. This is really pretty much what we covered last week, that this was part two. It's kind of a two-part finale, but it's not. It, it does say to be continued. It did say to be continued last week, but these were broadcast two separate weeks in sequence. This was never a one-hour special. And... The other thing in the facts facts was just we talked about the many stars, many guest appearances on the show. So I don't know who would be listening to this who didn't listen to last week, but we have got Juliette Lewis, Mayim Bialik, Seth Green, Kathleen Freeman. We briefly mentioned Sam Behrens as the actor who plays Mr. Mitchell, the awful sexually harassing science teacher. Uh, I don't know if I mentioned her name. The girl that plays Ashley, the really bitchy, awful one. Her name is Meredith Scott Lynn. And uh, the only other person of note that I want to bring out is there's that character called Belden. We didn't know where the fuck he came from. He kind of appeared kind of late. But his name is Jason Naylor. Then we also have a character named Sarah. And... Uh, I didn't get her name, and these are probably the most disjointed and disorganized facts facts I've ever done, but they're kind of just laying out the names of the people so we don't have to go into them and talk about their careers when we get to it. So are we all good? We all okay? How's about some nuts and bolts? 
for the last time. <laughs> This, uh, as was last week, this was written by Austin and Irma Kalish. We already went through the other episodes that they wrote, and Irma is the showrunner at this point, I believe. So you want to talk about season nine, James? I think she is the one to blame and point the finger at as being responsible. And it is directed by John Boab. Fittingly, as he is the one who did direct the most episodes of all of them. Second only to him was, of course, the wonderful Asad Kelada. So are we ready to get into this? Yes. So before we begin, uh, last week, James, I had a lot of big questions, is what I call them, because so many things dropped last week that led me to ask, questions about the existence of things like like the fact that Tootie is leaving and Joe's finding an apartment and Natalie's moving to New York the big question is how are they at the house what is Cloris Leachman going to do is Pippa going to transfer is it just going to be Beverly Ann and Andy living in that big ass house and uh, the store that was converted to two bedrooms so it was stuff like that but this time around I don't have as many big questions I think we might call them little annoyances here but Anyway, we have a recap of last week's episode before the opening credits. And that's interesting. They didn't often do that. They rarely put anything before the opening credits. But we pretty much pick up where we left off, where Blair calls a meeting with all the students. So everybody comes down into the new uh, Bigger Better dorm set. And an interesting thing I realized watching it the second or the third time around is... They pretty much have the quote-unquote new cast contained to the tables in the far corners underneath the staircases. So on the right, we have the table with four girls. Jennifer, Maya Bialik, Terry, Juliet Lewis, Ashley, the bitchy one, and Sarah, the naive one, whom we didn't get a lot out of last week, but this week definitely they try to establish her character a little bit more solidly. On the flip side, the opposite table, we've got Adam, which is Seth Green, Belden, I still can't, I, that, that name is absolutely unsupportable. Belden, I, I can't, I just can't. So we've got the two of them, and then nobody, the other two are just extras. There's no thing. So I think in the idea of the creation of this series, it was supposed to be Blair, the science teacher, uh, Ms. Grisby, Kathleen Freeman as the secretary, and six students, four girls and two boys as the main company. Yeah, Matthew, Matthew's doing a great big shrug because you're like, gee, what was wrong with season one? Hmm. Well, that's immediately what I thought of when the opening scene and all these kids come down. I immediately thought we learned nothing from season one of the facts of life because the big thing was too many girls. There's too many people already. And I I was, uh, I was already, my heart sank. Mm -hmm. Yep, it's true. Uh, I'm not going to get this microscopic, but there is a little moment here where Blair says she needs to reassess the sleeping arrangements. Because if you recall, the thing was she just sent the boys upstairs <laughs> to where the girls' rooms were. So when she says, I need to do something about the sleeping arrangements, Seth Green says, I'd like to sleep with Jennifer, meaning my umbiolic. And she looks up at him and beautifully delivers, dream on, pencil neck. Was it beautifully delivered? 
Was it? Oh, I think it was. Because I, I just James, I don't, I don't like children. I don't like children <laughs> as actors. I think this sitcom <laughs> struck gold when they found these young actors. But I, I'm just gonna say it: Juliet Lewis is terrible. How she has become <clears throat> an Oscar-nominated actress. I'm sorry, just. <laughs> Just I-M-O. In my opinion, she's just terrible. The girl that they tried to give Natalie's lines to, because they wanted to, they wanted another Natalie with the other girl who gets her eyelashes stuck together. Sarah, yeah. Mindy, Mindy Cohn would have nailed that scene. Mm -hmm. This poor girl was given way more comedy than she could handle. She did okay. Um, the only one whose acting I didn't hate was Ashley. Mm. I thought she was, given what she was given, I thought she was the only person I could stand. And Seth Green, I thought, was pretty delightful in what he was handed. But mm -hmm. and, and you weren't into Maya Bialik. She's just the worst actress to ever become famous, and I don't <laughs> oh, understand <shit>. <laughs> Well, yeah, you went on a little rant last week about that. I'm not sure that made it into the final thing. I think maybe that might only be in the extras for the for the Patreon people to hear. The clips but. I've seen of her hosting Jeopardy. I'm like, she's she's trying to act. And the delightful and charming thing about Alex Trebek was he wasn't trying to act and she's trying to act. And oh, I didn't expect this to go that way. Shut up, Mayim. Um, <laughs> I liked that they cast real kids as teenagers instead of 20-somethings. I thought mm -hmm. that was, you know, I thought that was good. Um, or a 10-year-old like they did with Kim Fields. Right. <laughs> I thought Seth Green was terrific. I really think he was, I mean, you can see where their careers went. Like other people thought they were terrific too. I thought he was genuinely funny. He plays a very similar role in the movie Can't, Har um, Can't Buy Me Love, mm -hmm. which came out next year you know, similar age. Um, he had some, you know, some acting experience already coming in, I think. Yeah. No, these kids were all seasoned professionals. All of them had creds before they got here. Pippa is kind of the Kimberly Drummond of this. <gasps> oh, yes. I never, she's like our gateway character, but I never, being Australian is not a character trait. And then what is she? Like, she... Apparently, with the first episode, they introduced Pippa. She's tricky. Like she got there, pretending to be somebody else, and she threw a party at the house and did that badly because she wants to be liked. But I never found anything there to grab onto of like who is Pippa as a character. Neither did the writers. If they're nope. dropping her in the middle of this large group of kids, and like she doesn't feel like she even belongs in the room with them. There's no chemistry. There's no. Yeah, I forgot she still went there when she came yeah. up in the scenes with the others like, oh, yeah, that's right. She goes there. I'm with you. I was kind of like, oh, that the, the, even that's not working here when it could have and should have. Yeah. But I bring up that scene, that little interaction between uh, Seth Green and Mayim Bialik, because I did wonder, it's like, well, did they ever work together again? And I found a picture that Mayim tweeted in <laughs> August of 2015. It's a close-up pic of the two of them. And I don't know what the occasion was. It doesn't say. But in the caption, she wrote, me and Seth Green. We worked together 27 years ago on The Facts of Life. Haven't seen him since. Sweet man. <laughs> so after this did not get picked up, 
both for how much they both worked. It's so funny. They were just clearly in different lanes, you know, with her going <laughs> blossom and him going Buffy and all that stuff. But how funny to think that from this moment that 27 years would pass before they'd ever meet up again. I just thought that was interesting. I'll post that picture on the, the webpage for the episode. So while Blair is kind of trying to lay down the law, uh, Mr. What is his name? I keep referring to him as a shit stained dick bag. It's Mitch. I had to call and report him to the authorities, uh, Wes Mitchell. Uh, and what he, is he doing in the girls' dorm at night? Like, what part of his science teacher job involves him just showing up there anytime he wants and hanging out? And and commenting on the side gallery like he's fucking Eve Arden, making with the wisecracks and stuff. Oh, that's really authoritative. And she's finally like, would you shut up? And uh, yeah, we hate him so much. And the fact that they could have just made him the naysayer. We could have made him the one with his doubts that she could have eventually won over and found romance with. Clearly they were setting us up as being a potential romance thing, but to have him be such a, well, you look like you have a trouble with setting boundaries. Can't wait for our first date. Fuck yeah. off you piece of shit. Everything he said like that, when the, especially in front of, children saying, oh can you tuck me and he's like you should see what she's going to do for me like yeah. you lose the job right there there's no way then yeah. or now get him yeah. the fuck out of there boys i accepted that it was 1988 this is when women didn't have rights i get it well yeah on the flip side they did a good job of showing blair just handling that i mean it did she handled him she was still in charge and um, there's something to be said for that, but I feel like Moonlighting, the TV show, was really popular at the time, and I thought they were trying to sell us on a Sybil Shepherd bruce Willis relationship where they're always going to spat and he's going to say sexist things and it's going to be charming and just, he that actor didn't have it in him and neither did the writers. That is where, thank you, James. God, you're brilliant and gorgeous. I just thank you <laughs> because I just couldn't figure out if it was the writing that made me hate him or the actor that made me hate him because he's not unattractive, but I just, I, I what was it? I just, everything was wrong about it. Every, everything. And I, I'm disappointed in them. Yeah. yeah. He was on it, Not Standing after this. I don't know if you ever watched Not Standing, but the whole point of the show is you want Valine Ewing and Gary Ewing to get back together. And he was brought in as Valine's like, misstep husband at one point and he couldn't handle that material either i mean he just i, I feel bad sam barons i know you're listening i'm sure you <laughs> and you know maybe gone to therapy or something to just work out some of your problems but it he cannot do this and it was um i don't want to watch blair being treated that way and mm. have a laugh back to it. it i was genuinely upset by it then and now i just i, I found it really offensive and ugly yeah no, it is so, so tone deaf that they would think, oh, viewers want to see someone treating our Blair Warner like this and not have her fucking kick him in the nuts. Ugh. Anyway, so it is also mentioned that uh, they need a dorm supervisor. Their current dorm <coughs> supervisor is left. So I'm like, oh, where's Mrs. Garrett? We could have brought her back. And and it wasn't called a dorm supervisor back then. Mrs. Garrett was a den mother. What the what were they paying her versus what this dorm supervisor is now going to make eight years later? But 
Anyway, there's, there's your job for Beverly Ann. Uh, thank you. <laughs> yep. There's a little nope. bit cut from syndication. Blair has to call home and tell them she's staying over to take the place of the dorm supervisor. Cut from syndication is a little scene lit where Belden asks Juliet Lewis if he could, you know, hey, can I get you a soda? Because remember, the boys are new here. This is still a completely new territory for them. So they're just trying to fit in and make friends. And of course, it's girls. And uh, he asks if he can get her a soda. And Juliet Lewis is like, no. And he's like, can I get you some cookies or something? No. And what is his final comeback? Well, I hope you come out of your coma very soon. <laughs> it's like, I hope you get to acting class. What? Ooh, oh, huh. who said that? Spoiler alert, <laughs> kids. She doesn't come out of her coma. <laughs> <laughs> I'm just going to jump in now because someone, I, I love Juliette Lewis. I of love course her. you do. You're a straight man. For some <laughs> reason, straight men I... think she's gorgeous and hot. I think she's, <laughs> she is... Mm. Oh, okay. Go ahead. No, go ahead, James. I, You're the guest. 15 years old. And later when she has her heartwarming conversation with Blair, I felt she held up her end of it. I really liked it. But we'll get there. And I just, again, she's also listening to this podcast. And I want her to know one person here. Mm. I love her. I love yeah. her. Yeah, that's it. I, as I say, Juliette Lewis, your best work was still ahead of you. And it still is. <laughs> So, uh, and I just, let's just make this clear. I, and, and, you know, I love you, James, but dear listeners, this is a man who teaches high school theater. Okay. So, yeah. Cast her in a Vita, James. <laughs> Get on that. You love, you love her so much. Put her in next to normal. Mm -hmm. The high school version of next to normal. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. rent Jr. Yeah. But uh, so there is uh, so so it looks like they're trying to set up that I guess Seth Green is going to be chasing Mayim Bialik and this boy Belden is going to be chasing Juliette Lewis. I guess that's what they're setting up. Ashley is just going to be a, a a bitchy whore slut and Sarah will be the, the goofy boy crazy girl that can't get a date, I think, is what they're kind of trying to set up here. But Blair has words with Seth Green about uh, would you... <laughs> Tamp it down, please, being the horny little boy. She says, I already live with a horny 14-year-old at my house. I, I could use less of it here. And then she does have a moment to speak one-on-one -on -one with Terry. And Terry's response is, I'm very, very happy. And then fake smiles. But she turns around before she leaves the room and adds, thanks for asking. So maybe she's breaking through. Maybe there's a couple of cracks in that veneer, that shell. Any other thoughts about that scene before we move on to the next one? No, I, th I think we covered it there. Yeah. I could talk for another 40 minutes if you want. You want me to? No? I, I did have a, a slight issue. Like, oh, good. A good old-fashioned don't be gay joke for, for Seth Green. Seven when, dwarfs. Yeah, when he's like, now I want to see Snow White naked. Yeah. And mm -hmm. I mean, obviously, David and I have different opinions, but obviously he's, what, 13 or whatever. So, yeah. but when she said, when she said, as long as that doesn't move to the dwarves, we won't worry about it. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Okay, yeah. but yes, keep objectifying women. There, you're on the right track. Yep. <laughs> 
I actually do have some uh, the character he was playing. Um, his name was Adam, Adam. Brinkerhoff, and uh, Bert Brinkerhoff was one of the producers at one point, I think. There it is. Oh, we said last week we're like that's got to be the name of somebody. All it the is. other names are are their standard. They're they're fucking Parker names where it's you know Parker Smith Simpson Jones yeah. Williams. Bert Brinkerhoff is a TV producer. Okay. And- when he came in dressed as a girl in the last episode, he said he was Eve Brinkerhoff, and now he's Adam Brinkerhoff. I thought yeah. that was kind of a little, they're thinking a little bit. So moving on to the next scene, we have a very important moment, the return of the exterior shot of Eastland <laughs> by daylight. The shot of the dorm that you, James Brendlinger, the very man on my Zoom call, pointed out to me that I never noticed in 35 years how clearly that photograph was taken off season. All the shrubs and the grass are overgrown. The ivy is untrimmed. And it's just, it's a landscaping fail, big time. Yeah, there's a lot of bush, James. How do you feel about that? (laughs) I was happy to see the establishing shot. I also want to say they spent, they clearly spent a lot of money on these sets. I don't know if this was- Oh God, yeah your tv show but it looked like eastland but bigger eastland uh they had the office set the outer office set some dorm rooms they spent and, some money here which and we are not even we have not even yet approached the chuggalog we have a oh, lot to talk about there <laughs> oh yes so the thing i have to say is that we did have the exterior shot of the dorms in last week's episode but it was the nighttime shot where the lights are on at night and you can barely see, but it is the same building with the same overgrown shrubbery. So we return to that exterior, the the, the daytime exterior shot, which we have not seen in eight years now. But then we go into the office. It's like, okay, well, that's an exterior shot of the dorms. The office, they gave us a new exterior shot of French doors with an archway over it. And I'm like, guys, you're already fucking up the new rules you're trying to establish for this show but anyway 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 blair shows up to work in a power suit is it is this the cream colored power suit with her french braid god she's gorgeous yeah miss grisby is there but as soon as blair tries to talk to her she says i'm not here she says what do you mean it's my day off so why are you sitting at your desk and she says i come here to make all of my long distance phone calls Remember when we used to have to pay to make long-distance phone calls? Remember those days? Blair goes into her office, and uh, Mr. Shitbag is there, sitting behind her desk. And uh, there is a funny little moment through their conversation where he does get up and move around, and there is a moment where she has to quickly run around the (laughs) desk to sit in her own chair to make sure that the power play is like, this is still my fucking chair and my desk. And Lisa Welchult, she's just... God, she is brilliant. The turd that they are asking her to serve us, she is doing so. God, I wish some show had happened with her as a lead, if not this one. But anyway, the long and short of the scene is that Terry, Juliette Lewis, is flunking out of biology. And if she doesn't get a passing grade, she's got to get kicked out of school. And so Blair wonders if something else might be going on. Gee, I don't know. Could you read the room when she's sitting there? Did you maybe have a hint that there's something going on while you were talking with a sullen girl talking to you like this? But 
Mrs. Grisby comes in and says, yeah, Terry is uh, interesting. She went bowling with me when she was still staying here over spring break. Because, you know, when you stay at your boarding school over spring break, you go out with a 65-year-old cranky-ass secretary to the headmaster. What else would you do to socialize? What else would you do? <laughs> I, I don't You'd know. go to the mall with the painted backdrop. You'd go and hang out at Over Our Heads and get a pastry or a cookie or a cup of coffee or a submarine sandwich or whatever the fuck else that business might be on any given day. Or an inflatable palm tree. <laughs> but the big thing is that Blair's like, wait a minute, she didn't go home for spring break. Ding, something else is going on at home. And I aim to find out what it is. So she convinces Douche Nozzle to give Terry another makeup test. And he agrees because he basically says, I'll do it because I want to fuck you. It, for all intents and purposes. So any other anything else with that scene? No, you covered it. <laughs> yeah, there are a lot of little scenes here. So, yeah, we got a lot to go. <laughs> Next scene, we're at the dorm. And so now we've got the girls. This is where Pippa joins on in. And this is where we get uh, the first flavor of Ashley being a whore. Where they notice this boy, Steve is his name in a red sweater. He is He's a very cute, very cute kid. And so they're just like, oh, my God, it's cute. I wonder that Ashley basically says, guys, come on. You don't know how to talk to a boy. And she walks over and says, hey, you're cute. You want to have a study date later? And he's like, yeah. She says, great. Meet me at eight o'clock and don't bother bringing your books. <laughs> uh, wow. OK, we're coming in hot and hard here with this <laughs> Ashley being the bad girl. But and, and then she turns back to them like it's a like it's a power play, like, yeah, I did that and you fuckers didn't. And I, I, it, it was just very weird. Am I am I right that it was weird? And then later, you know, I don't like to jump ahead. You know, that's against my my religion here. But later, when she's flirting with the guy at the bar in front of the guy, she turns to the girls and gives them like the two thumbs up, like, <laughs> yeah, I'm getting somewhere. <laughs> And it's like, wait, what? So is this is this fake bravery, faux sluttery to, to put up yes. a false bravado? Yes. <laughs> yeah, I think we don't find it out in this scene, but I think it's her um, displaying her dominance among mm. over the girls. Because then in the, in the chug-a-lug, you see, oh, she's in over her head when it gets right down to it. In the grown-up world. Yeah. You are correct, Matthew. That is right. And that is why the writing of this show is genius. <laughs> now, I have a question about, and, and I I watched it probably six times trying to understand it. The punchline of this scene is Pippa says there's a conversation about what they're going to do or whatever. And Pippa says, would I bring, would it bring your own shovel? Would it be bring your own shovel? Yeah, I think the joke is because you'd be shoveling bullshit. I I did the same thing. I was like, I don't understand that joke. Okay. And all I came up with is she's going to come back and tell you all the things you can never find out yourself. It's like, oh, you're going to bring your own shovel like you're shoveling the bullshit. Oh. you're gonna... Maybe. Yeah. 
Yeah, meaning, yeah, you're you're probably not going to fuck this kid, even though you're going to tell us that you did or something. That's what I thought. I did, too. I thought, you know, you're shoveling it. Yeah, that's that's what I inferred, too. It's not right. that funny. And and it's a little too adult a joke. What what teenager? What what is Pippa now? 17 at this point was <laughs> just. Well, it's like one of those early, the early seasons where they make jokes that are like, were you writing Yiddish vaudeville theater or something when you wrote? Oh, yeah. The references. Teenagers Mm -hmm. don't talk like that then or now. They're just not going to talk like that. Oh, yeah. I think. Yeah. What what we'd give now for the middle-aged vaudevillian writers to come back and punch this up. (laughs) Jesus. But uh, anyway, the uh, Blair does show up in the dorm and tells Terry that you get another makeup test. And Terry's like, oh, great. And she says, so you're going to study? Yes, I promise. She promises to her face that she's going to study for this makeup test. Well, next scene, we're in the girl's bedroom. This is the first time we're seeing a bedroom in this other dorm. Because, James, we're speculating that this could be the dorm where Tumpy and Emily lived in Dope. Because remember, they were at a different dorm. Yeah. If I had written the episode, there would have been some graffiti on the wall like Tumpy was here or something. Yes. They missed so many moments here they could have had. but Yeah. Belden, I cannot abide. If they had brought back the character of Tumpy, I'm in. I am so on board. I think I hated it at the time. I thought it was ridiculous. Now I'm like, yeah, if there's anything this episode needed, it was a little bit of Tumpy. That's what we all need. Who doesn't? (laughs) So the good thing, I got to say, got to give props to the set designers when they said, okay, we're going back to Eastland. We're going back to these places where we haven't existed in eight years. They did a great job making that the dormitory set, the, the, the stairs set look like another building built at the same time as the set that we enjoyed in season one. And continuing that here, this bedroom, I'm like, oh my God, this looks like one of the bedrooms from season one, but not quite uh, right up to the, like this sort of shelf uh, with the window, like this, what do you call it? Like a little box seat inside the window. Oh, set design. I think they did a great job with this. They did. And clearly, like you said, they had a couple of bucks to throw at this too. Again, another little teaser, because wait till we get to the chug-a-lug. I'm so excited. Let me ask you this on that then. Uh, yes, they did. It did look like those were old buildings. But a 1980 sitcom, are they already putting a nail in the coffin? Because in 88, that looked like it looked like a 70s sitcom. Yes. yes. It looked like an early 80s sitcom. And what they tried to get away from with over our heads was getting away from that and moving into the the neon eighties. So I just already, I was like, this, I, well, yes, you're, I, they did a great job decorating, painting it, but, it, and I'm glad they didn't create a 1988 looking dorm, but from a sitcom point of view, it's like, Oh, this looks dated already. Mm. Yeah. Yeah, no, I I absolutely agree with you. A character thing that they're trying to drop while they're trying to help us learn who these characters are. Sarah has some potato cookies that her grandmother made that Ashley very quickly rejects. And that causes Sarah to say, yeah, it's really weird having been raised by my grandparents and all. I was the only person in the house who brushed her teeth while they were still inside her mouth. And it's like, oh, okay, so that's a Sarah thing. Sarah was raised by her grandparents. 
I have no idea comedically what they think they can mine from that as a premise. Uh, what do y'all think of that? Go with her being super naive and old fashioned because she was raised by a grandma. Okay. It's not. Yeah. Which she is. She's the innocent among the group. Absolutely. So I guess that's how they justify it that she she was raised by elderly people who don't know things because aren't old people so stupid? (laughs) They survive on potato cookies. (laughs) (laughs) And she also, she, I mean, my God. Let's hit us in the face with it. She is wearing pajamas with the feet in them. Yeah, true. Very true. While Ashley's in a satin negligee, for Christ's sake. Yeah. But speaking of uh, what they're wearing, Terry shows up and Terry is in a smart red skirt suit. She is dressed up and planning to hit the town. She's going to that bar. You know the bar near the freeway? The Chugalug? <gasps> and all of our brains exploded when we're like what we have never heard nor mentioned the chuggalug since season two episode one the new girl so it's been nearly seven years since they've ever even mentioned it and of course you you get this thing and then Continuing on, they discover Adam's listening at the door and the other girl's like, well, we want to come along too. And Adam's like, I want to go too. And it's just like, oh, so are they going to hotwire a van now and get in trouble and end up having to work with a dietitian? How, how, what, what level of derivative of going back to our roots are we attempting here? What the fuck is going on? But uh, what, what were your thoughts when you first heard the Chuggalug mentioned? Well, I mean, I think it's a great callback. There were places um, specifically in the previous episode, they talked about being sent to military schools. Like you have a canon military school nearby. You could have mentioned Stone Military Academy Mm -hmm. or boys, et cetera. Um, So when they didn't take those opportunities in the first episode, I was pleased to see somebody had watched previous episodes when this was written. Yeah, we've got a bar already. You don't need to make a new one. And it's a nice callback. Larry knows exactly where to go. Yeah. Well, they still did make a new one. I think the people who weren't paying attention were the set designers. But uh, as we will see, it may be by design. So then we have this after hour scene in the lobby of the dorm again. This is where we have Blair and shitbag cunt face asshole has apparently walked her from the office. And she even said, thank you for walking me from the office to here. It's only a three minute walk, but you made it seem like it was much, much longer which I think is a lovely little zinger. And then they run into Seth Green and basically he spills the beans. The girls went off to the Chuggalug, boom. No talk of how they were going to get there. When we come back from commercial, Juliette Lewis is already there with no mention of how she got transported there. And then the others show up and meet her. So how did they get there? Because we know from season two of the Facts of Life, it has to be a drive. They couldn't get there without hot wiring the van. So I thought that was an interesting little question mark. Even if they had said, I've never hitchhiked before. Wow, do you think that's dangerous? Or, you know, the, the innocent girl could have said something like, gee, why did that man not have any pants on? I don't know, just spitballing. I would like to say that right now. <laughs> <clears throat> so now we get to the Chagalog set. We have got to discuss this for no fewer than 45 minutes, in my opinion. There is so much 
to talk about here. What all? What let let me let you guys go first because once I go, we'll be off to the races. James, our special guest, thoughts on revisiting and coming back to the Chuggalug. I'm okay with the business looking totally different. There may have been an episode where it burned down. It, it's <laughs> under the ownership. Um, Mrs. Garrett torched it. Mrs. She Garrett fucking torched, torched it. it when she torched it. Holy shit. That is canon. We've made it so. You're yeah. a genius. So I'm okay with it. I mean, it's still a little honky-tonk bar uh, with a great bartender and everything. I thought the people hanging out there, I guess, would have been from Langley, though no mention of that was made. Uh, but they seem to be like college age guys seem to be the main clientele standing around mm-hmm. uh, from there. Matthew, I really I didn't know I needed it until I saw the Chuggalug again. And like you said, David, why have they not referenced it in the past seven years? Thank you. And then- I realized I wish it had been like on mama's family when they talk about the bigger jigger. (laughs) (laughs) It's such a great name, bigger jigger, chug a lug, like, you know, like all the, all the dates they've gone on. Oh, we were supposed to go to the Mediterranean restaurant. Oh, what'd you do instead? Hung out at the chug a lug. (laughs) It's just, come on. So you're, I didn't know I needed that until I saw this. Um, The Chippendales episode, the exotic dancers that could have been, Chippendale night at the Chuggalug. They could have incorporated it into many other stories, don't you think? That time she taught Leo how to paint, it could have been in a bar. Oh, oh, that's true when he throws the whole thing aside. <laughs> but I agree. Chuggalug is a fun thing to say. Whoever came up with that name, bravo. And it is a crying shame they never did it. That's That falls into the land of Mr. Lazzaroni, where we needed a lot more of this. And clearly the people involved were not able to see that at the time. But yes, wow, this has certainly undergone some renovations. <laughs> so I pulled up season two, episode one, when we first saw the Chuggalug back in 1980. And uh, I did take some stills. I'll put them on the webpage for the episode. But I didn't really ever look, look at the set in that episode. It's mostly brick. Most of the structure, the walls, are brick, but it's painted like a purpley lavender color. And there are shelves and the shelves are decorated with plants and film reels and flags and masks, sombreros, a barber pole, a bicycle, a bust of Beethoven. The the old Chuggalug in its earlier version was tchotchkeed out like it was a Bennigan's. And I swear to God, that's because they did not have the set budget that they had for this. Just like they hung the sombreros on the walls of the dorms in season one, it was like, okay, we don't have much of a set going on here. So put up the merchandising thing to to give it some interest. Uh, But there is now wood and a wainscoting looking more like a, like you say, like a honky tonk with a little bit of English pub thrown in. It almost had a little bit of a regal beagle kind of a separate feel to it. Uh, But it also has pinball machines and a dartboard. They are playing country music. Uh, The door is in the same place on the left of our screen. The bar is on the right. So it clearly is the same business in spite of the renovations. But now there's restrooms near the entrance. Uh, There are booths in the back. There were no booths there before. It's definitely a more elaborate set with more jigs and jogs and architectural things to it. And I was loving it that 
it, it didn't bother me. I did not expect it to look identical to how it did seven years prior. Funny though that would have been if it did, but truly, if they had done that, it would have looked really cheap and shitty. <laughs> so anything else on the Chuggalug? Anything else there before we actually get into the scene? No. Okay. Well, very quickly, we meet a, a character called The Guy. That's all he is credited as, is The Guy. And he is just a horny dude walking around trying to pick up all of the girls at the bar, including Juliette Lewis, who spurns him. And then no sooner does he walk away, Ashley and Sarah show up. Uh, Sarah has got this running bit with her false eyelashes coming off. And then eventually... Ashley gives her sunglasses, so she's got big sunglasses on, and she can't see now because she's wearing sunglasses indoors. Well, wacky. <laughs> There's a great waitress who comes over to take their order, and she is not having any of this nonsense. And she's like, wait, you're you're from Eastland, aren't you? Like, you, you're not fucking old enough to drink here. So she said, I'm bringing you root beers, and then you got to get out of here. Why? <laughs> Get out now. Thank you. you <laughs> exactly. Underage girls in a bar. You no. Know, oh, well, we'll give you a little sip of something before you leave. Get the fuck out. Yeah. <laughs> she's she's clearly busy. She clearly needs the oh. tips, man. Gig economy. She's a oh, waitress. You, yeah. You think teenage girls <laughs> are going to tip you. Get the fuck out of my bar. <laughs> Get out of my pub. <laughs> so then. Sorry. The moment we alluded to earlier, when they're again talking about this, you're right. This is Ashley trying to establish her dominance. She goes over to the guy, flirts with him, and as she turns back to them to give him the thumbs up, he just grabs her, dips her, and kisses her full on the lips. Which, you know, he didn't ask for consent, but she was coming on to him. So she kind of had it coming, don't you think? Anyone? No? H hello? <laughs> Anyone? No? Uh well, from the start, I was trying to figure out what Juliette Lewis's character, Terry. I was trying to Terry. figure out her motivation. Does she just want to show up there and sit and wait until she gets in trouble from the school? Yeah. Like, we we learned she wants to get kicked out of Eastland. It's like, girl, there are far less elaborate ways you could do this. So that's why she turns the guy down, because that's not what she's there for. She just needs to sit there and wait to get in trouble from the school. And then this other girl comes to show off. And, you know, rejects the situation she's in and goes back to the table. And Sarah's just along for the ride because she wants to have friends and be cool. That's yeah. everybody's motivation. Is that accurate? I couldn't figure out what she was doing at the Chuggalug. Right. I, I, I think I, it's just, I'm going to tell three or four other girls that I'm going there and someone's going to rat on me. And then I'll get caught and then I'll get sent home. I guess. Okay. Once again, you boys given this a, a lost level of backstory. <laughs> <laughs> yep. But so okay. Because yeah. you know what I like to do when I'm very, very depressed? Go sit alone in a bar and look and spend the whole thing like looking around like, is anyone noticing me? <laughs> so let's talk about that motivation, Jim. <laughs> well, then Blair shows up and just so happens they start talking about Blair and shit talking her behind her back when she's behind their back and whoa, they get caught. So <laughs> at this point, Blair is like, Terry, what in the actual fuck? You're not studying for your test. You're not going to get the makeup. I got to expel you. You're done. Get out of here. 
and then the button to the the guy the the sort of I guess he's a he's a little bit forward. I guess he's not that sleazy. I, I would go. I would have totally said yes to this guy before, uh, Mister Asshole Shitbag Miller. There, anyone would. Anyone anywhere would. Yeah. So the last thing is the girls are gone and Blair is there alone, and he says, "Hey, how you doing? Can I buy you a drink?" And the waitress hands Blair the check, and Blair says, "Yes, you can. Three root beers," and hands him the check and walks out. I loved that. Yeah. I hated it. Oh, please elaborate. Because Blair just going to this bar is what got you expelled, wasn't it? Well, no, it's the ruining of the van. It was, yeah, it was a combination of things. Are you talking about why Blair got in trouble being there? Yeah. What they were paying off and by working was the van issue. Yeah, right. the repair of the van. But I thought that being at a bar is what got them in trouble like yeah. suspendable with the law yeah with the, that's what got them in jail correct but like this is so either way either way she's an underage girl in a bar this is your chance blair to hold this over ashley's head who's been who in the first episode was like was like you have to be nice to me because my dad loaned you the money and i would have said hey bitch yeah. How about how would your dad like to hear that I walked into a bar and found you on your back with yeah. a guy on top of you making out with you? Maybe it was not consensual, but he doesn't. He's not going to hear that from me. He's just going to hear that his daughter was at a bar. Yeah. So I wanted her to hold that over their head, and 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 so I I just we'll start again. to get some of her own back. You're absolutely right. We said last week Blair desperately needed a win. And she doesn't really get it. And even in this, ugh, at least she she does break through to Terry, breaking through the veneer and the sad story and helps her to come to her realization. But uh, that's all fine and dandy. But Blair really needed a professional win. That's the win, though, for Blair in this episode. And then you have to watch the series to see her start winning. <laughs> mm. So, I, yeah, for this 23-minute episode, that was the win for Blair. Mm. The the root beer joke. Yeah. Yeah. Well, no, her connecting with... with oh, that. <laughs> with, well, the root beer joke was funnier. That's all I'm saying. I'll give you that. <laughs> so in the next scene, a little weird, Blair sneaking into Terry's and uh. Ashley's bedroom while they're asleep and waking them up. Oh. Met that day. I mean, this is just some woman slipping into your dorm room at 5 a.m. and waking you Creepy. up. Hey, I've been thinking about you all night. Now I want to talk about all the solutions to your problems. I I love <sighs> her. But that's crazy stuff. Yeah. Like, that can't happen. I used to get so upset when Mr. Bradley would just walk into the bedroom in season one. It's like, what is he doing in their rooms? Let alone not knocking Jesus. So Blair says to Terry, I know what's going on. You're trying to get kicked out. And finally, Terry breaks down. Yep, her parents are getting divorced and she wants to go home and patch things up. So Blair tells Terry the story of a fictional boy named Pierre LeBlanc. Dealing with his own parents' divorce. And the bottom line is that Pierre 
realized that Pierre needed to take care of himself and it was okay for him to do things that made him happy because maybe, Terry, if you're happy, that will help your parents. Yeah, if you could just be happier, kid, your parents won't get divorced. Yeah. <laughs> if, you could just, if you could just smile, that'll fix their marriage. Mm-hmm. But yep. why the fault you've now created a relationship with this kid based on a quote unquote lie that we all saw through. Why not say to her, Hey kid, I'll have, you know, I have five step dads. Ding, ding, ding. My, my best friend is from a divorce and here I am the headmaster. Why not have a real fucking connection with this kid? Mm-hmm. Yeah. You know, oh, oh, oh. Marriage and divorce is so di divorce is so shameful. I have to make up a character that I know because I would never be from a divorced family. Yeah. So just go home and smile more, and your marriage will be fixed. Mm. Yeah. Mm, I love you, Blair, but I took issue. Yeah, that could have been so much better and more personally connected. Didn't she say things to Molly back in the Molly divorce where it's things like, look, you think the world is ending. I promise you it's not. Words like, you know, things like that. Words of uh, encouragement, words of your parents' divorce doesn't have anything to do with you. And you know what? They're probably better off and happier knowing that you're cared for here. Your being there might actually make it more difficult for them because they love you so much. There are there are so, monkeys at typewriters who could have written a more touching scene. This is an opportunity to have Blair simply repeat the same type of thing she said to Molly years ago about her parents' divorce, which was good advice. And she could say, you know, my friend Molly thought it was the end of the world, but you know where Molly is now? And they could have made a meta reference to she's in Hollywood making movies. She's one of the most successful people to ever graduate from. <laughs> you should have. You totally should have said, yeah. And for a finale, what a great tie-in for people who are like, Molly was one of my favorite characters and you just used her mm -hmm. to solve a problem in your new job at our old school. Like, that would be so cool. That would have been brilliant. Kind of like the moment in the reunion movie where out of the blue, she mentions Cousin Jerry. And you're like, yeah. okay, you know, she was probably available and you could have had her in the movie, yeah. writers. <laughs> but... You genius. Bravo. Bravo, sir. So uh, I do have something with which I take issue that we need to talk about with this alleged Pierre story, which, by the way, Juliette Lewis does not fall for either. She says, well, OK, I guess you're right. Thanks, Pierre. Oh, she figured it out. But what Blair says is. This is from the script now. Pierre felt like he was abandoning his family because they had all these problems. And here he was getting a chance at a happy new life, complete with a candy apple red Porsche with tan leather interior. Meaning when she was first shipped off to Eastland. <laughs> eh, I'm sorry. Thank you for playing, though. Yeah. Blair has stated explicitly in season four, episode 18, Best Sister Part Two. The day that she stopped believing in God was the day her parents' divorce became final, June 14th, 1973, when Blair would have been eight years old. So Blair's parents were going through a divorce when she was eight. She would have been four years too young to be shipped off to Eastland. And even if she were shipped off to a different boarding school that handled grades and ages younger than sixth grade as they do at Eastland, there is no way she could have a car. 
the fact that she didn't have a car is the reason why they stole the van and wrecked the van and we got season two. Jesus Christ, David. <laughs> is the Porsche the car that she just crashed a few episodes ago? Is that the car she's describing? Oh, oh, that's a good question. Was it a Porsche? I'm not sure. Of course, they never showed us any outdoor scenes. I'm not sure they mentioned it, but that's the thing is we've been through this many, many, many times on the podcast where sometimes Blair has a car, sometimes Blair doesn't have a car. And literally, as soon as she turned 16, which I think would have been season three, Mm -hmm. they, they could have justified the whole thing with the van at the beginning of season two was that she was too young to have a car. I think she was only... Uh, 15 at the time. So I think it would have been season three that Blair could have started having a car. But how many times it's been back and forth and back and forth with she has a car, she doesn't. Someone needs to borrow it. Someone doesn't need to borrow it. But even Blair Warner didn't have no damn Porsche when she was eight years old. Oh, God. <laughs> Absolutely unacceptable. I should. I, I, I mean... I brought my own shovel, Pippa, to this <laughs> podcast, but I didn't know we were going to get that deep into Blair's car, for God's sake. Yeah. Okay. All right. Yeah. So, uh, oh, and then, of course, the last thing is, do you still think there's time for me to make that makeup test in biology? <laughs> so we know that she is going to try and she's going to study, and Juliet is going to stay. So technically, problem solved, which is good, because that's really the end of the Eastland portion of our episode. And now we move on to the final scene of this episode, the final scene of the series in the living room of the Facts of Life house. For the last time. (laughs) (laughs) And Tootie comes running in. She got it. She got it. She got the Summer Fellowship at the Royal Academy of Dramatic Arts. She alluded to this last week that she might be leaving town. Well, she is going to fucking London. Wow. Phone rings. It's Natalie on the phone. She's Wait a minute. Wait a goddamn minute. Okay. We're not just letting this slide that Tootie (laughs) got into the Royal Academy (laughs) of Performing Arts arts ease on (laughs) down ease on down the road that was her audition with no she's like they got my application you didn't have to audition in person for the royal academy of performing (laughs) arts what what is this is this the amda of london for god's sake It, it is it's yeah rada is a big deal they call it rada james i have never heard anyone call it that but you can call right. it that. If you, they probably saw her in South Pacific and it just took them this long to <laughs> process a spot for her. Yep. Did you send them maybe some of the clippings about every <laughs> single one of your performances, Tootie? Where they said the only problem with your Joan of Arc was that they didn't use real fire? <laughs> You're right. Every bad review. <laughs> The woman has never gotten a good review. And you're going to call your marine biologist boyfriend who is at Penn State and be like, you can meet me in London. What? Can he? (laughs) I don't think he can because he won't be able to read the signs at the airport. He's illiterate. Remember? 
<laughs> so I'm sorry. The fact that I have tried my best <laughs> to be on Toots Magoot's side every once in a while. They did. Uh, that was the payoff of that character. Get yep. out of my life. That's all. Yeah. I, I, I thought you might have some feelings about that, Matthew. So then ring, ring, Natalie is on the phone and she's in Soho. She's standing in front of a slightly dressed set and she basically is just checking in with them. She starts telling a story and Tootie basically says, yeah, whatever. I got into Rada. I got to call Jeff. Bye. Hangs up on her. On her best friend of how long on the last episode, they Suzanne Summered, Natalie. What yep. it, she had to um, not have been there. It had to have been a she needed to take off to do another project. What was what was Mindy Cone doing in 1988 that she couldn't take a day out to come to the set? I, for the final episode of the series you've been on for nine years. I think you could have cleared your schedule. I have to wonder if she was neck deep in filming the unaired pilot of her of her spinoff. Oh, maybe. That's Maybe. a good guess. That's yeah. that is possible. Yeah, I'm glad you brought up. Three's company had a terrible final episode like this, where they only cared about Jack and establishing him for his awful sequel show. Yes. And so Tara, just by the way, I'm moving to Hawaii, and Janet's marrying her boyfriend, who's been mentioned a couple times, and they're gone. We're we're done. Yeah. Getting married in the apartment, by the way, like you do. Yeah. Mm-hmm. But yeah, it was all about setting up the next series. It was, yeah. they at least got to walk out of the apartment with their boxes of stuff. They at least got to have that <laughs> moment. You know right. what I mean? Where they stop and they they sort of turn around and Joyce DeWitt kind of gives them a nod like, let's, okay, we can do this. And then Priscilla Barnes turns in and turns out the light and we get the, the set dark kind of a la Mary Tyler Moore show. I feel like yeah. Three's Company got a better send-off than this bullshit. Oh, they did, but it, that one bothered me also. I Yeah. I like it. It, it, yeah, it was still awful, but it was better than this. Yeah. <laughs> but it's got to be, I, there. there is no other explanation other than Mindy Cohn had to have pre-taped that and she was not there. So while Tootie is on the horn with Jeff, ding-dong at the door, there's a, a message for Joe. It's a dude in a chicken costume. And it's a romantic, goofy, stupid poem from Rick that this chicken hands Joe. And it's one of those things like, oh, Rick, Rick, you're such a wild card. You're such a loose cannon. Clearly, this is Rick in the chicken suit. He's so crazy. Come on, take that head off. And it's a black dude. And it ain't Rick. And it's like, wait, what What? what in the who the fuck? What? Huh? And then Rick comes in in his own clothes like, ha fooled you. I'm back after my month away, that month engagement that I had after our wedding. Here we go. So we get the big kiss, the big reunion. Joe and Rick are together now. How do we feel about missed opportunities? That chicken should have been Roy. Am I right? Oh, nice. <laughs> we already had Roy come in as the gorilla and try to rekindle something with Joe. And again, she's not interested. But Roy could come in and get, oh, it's Rick, come here. I want to give you a big smooch and then have it be, ah, what the fuck? 
And then he could be, wait a minute, Joe Bonner? You're married now? Why would he have known otherwise? Oh, I just remembered that. That Yeah, that would have been good. Thing. That was exactly. That's why I'm like, when uh, truly I hadn't seen this in a long time. And I thought, did they bring Roy? No. How fun would that be? Particularly because, you know, Joe hasn't seen her husband since the day they fucking married. She would have been all over him. That would have been the best misdirect. And he, I, I thought the missed opportunity was I haven't seen you in a month. I'm going to choke this chicken. <laughs> I'm a little vulgar, James. <laughs> yeah, I'm, if, I'm, if, I'm what they call dirty. If, if you want him to be. So um, I forget why and how Blair is there in the room, but Blair is there. I don't even know if she has any lines in this scene. Same with Beverly Ann. I think she's, yes, she does. She says, I don't have any makeup on. I'll just stand by Joe. Yeah. Oh, that's right, Blair. But it's kind of like, why Why are you home? You have taken on no fewer than three jobs at this school you have just purchased. You probably got some other stuff on your plate, but whatever, whatever, whatever. So yeah, but Rick says he's back. And of all the cool things he saw on his travels, look at this thing. It's a tiny little camera that he found in Hong Kong. And this thing actually takes pictures. Come on, guys, get in and pose. And they all get in. And then Rick says, okay, smile. And it's just click. The final image of the show is a photograph of the cast all hugging and posing. And Mindy Cohn's not there. Yeah. This is that- not the cast of the show when there's no Mindy Cohn in the picture. This is our show and it's over. And there's no fucking Natalie in the picture. Or Andy. Or, or yeah. Andy. Fuck Pippa. We don't want her in there anyway, but what the shit? What was happening? I, I mean, it had to have been the other show. What would have been so important that would have prevented Mindy Cohn from being there the final scheduled week of the sitcom that she is contracted to do? I, I, I am just beyond appalled. Andy wasn't even in this episode. right? No, you're right. He was in last week, but not this one. And we wrapped up a, a nine-year sitcom in three minutes, and... Why couldn't Natalie have been there with her last box of shit as she's getting ready to take off and saying some goodbyes? And remember, David, my what season 10 should have been. Yes. Oh, oh yeah, totally. Matthew had a great thing, yeah. James, I think season 10, because basically I wonder if you agree. The Facts of Life is three different sitcoms. In that they reinvented themselves going from Eastland to Edna's Edibles. And then when Garrett left, it became a whole different sitcom. And season nine is its own. But I thought of season <laughs> 10, would they could have reinvented the facts of life again. And where Blair is now a poor headmaster of Eastland. Joe is the guidance counselor. Tootie is the acting teacher. And Beverly Ann could be the den mother. So she could become the new Mrs. Garrett. Yeah. And Andy could go to Eastland with Pippa and everything. And I just wonder what your opinion is like on, could they have done that? What would the season 10 facts of life look like to you? Since you know, they can basically just completely rewrite the the canon. (laughs) So I have kind of two plans for this. And one is if you don't mind me backing up, 
the final episode really needed to be about the four girls and their relationships and they blew it. You could have done an episode where we start off by announcing that the school is going under. I hated last episode when they Blair's upset it's going under and uh, everybody else thinks that's no big deal. Wants to talk about something else. I didn't think that was in character. I think they'd at least be interested. Um, But if that was our kickoff for the episode, the school's going under and part of the episode involved them going over to visit the school. It's closing. We're going to take a walk around and maybe think of solutions for this. And in doing so, you could do a clip show or not, but um, they come to the conclusion by the end of the episode, we can't keep looking at the past. We've got to look to the future, have Joe's um, husband come back, um, have Tootie apparently win a scholarship to London, do all the same things, but spend the time together. And um, at the end of the episode, the, the big end moment is Blair says, and I, um, guys, I, I just bought Eastland. And that's yeah. the end. And then um, on my DVD, I don't know if you guys watch it on DVD, my closing credits didn't even have the Facts of Life theme song on the final episode. It had some of the incidental music instead. I don't know if that's a mistake or not. Oh. But I would have loved it. Um, in my version of the episode, they're all at Eastland walking out and Blair reveals, I just bought the place, guys. And that's our kickoff for season 10 later. But um, I'd love to see each one of them leaving Eastland, which would involve actually going outdoors and filming. But put Tootie on some roller skates and let her roll down that sidewalk as an oh, adult. Oh, yes. That would have been um, so nice. Joe giving Rick a ride away on the motorcycle. Um, maybe um, Natalie just being on a train, looking out the window at the town going away behind her. And then again, back to Blair standing in front of the school wringing her hands what have i done and that's your ending for for that the other stuff in the episode they clearly had a huge budget there were at least 20 speaking characters in that episode and all brand new sets that could have been a great summer movie it was supposed to be a summer session anyway they said most of the kids have gone home not many kids have signed up you're for right summer. you're totally right and then she's there so do a summer movie um they had done them before with their trips and, you know, tell the story, but I would have loved to have seen Blair solving problems using the things she learned from each of her friends. Um, you know, we had the Molly moment. We could have other moments with like difficult people are a lot like Joe. How did I finally break through to Joe and and see that she's got it? And maybe even have Miss Garrett, you know, things are a disaster. And Miss Garrett comes in and says, you can do this, Blair. I watched you grow up. You have all mm. the things. And then the last hour, she's tackling things with all the things she learned. Yeah. The show, uh, bringing Andy in is, to me, a no-brainer. That's a guy who actually has a real character, and that kid can act. I mean, mm-hmm. I really thought Gaston did a lot of nice things in there. Anchor him as the guy side of this. He's always going to have a scheme to get with the girls and sneak out and do all the things we've seen him do a little bit of, and it'll free him up a little bit. Yeah. And yet, I don't know what the situation was if some of the actors really did just want to move on or if they would have signed on for more. Another idea I had was they brought in that board member who's Ashley's dad. Yes. I would Mr. Payne. Yes. I have no idea what Jamie Gertz was doing in 1988. She had made some movies. Oh. But even as someone who just turns up from time to time to drive her crazy, Muffy's on the board. Or Muffy is the other half of the finance. Bootsy. I'm sorry. I call her Muffy because of square pegs. Because of square pegs. Yeah, exactly. Same character, basically. But yeah, poor, truly. And Jerry, like, how could you end this? There's no way Jerry Jewell wasn't available. There's, she was a stand comedian. Thank you. I'm sure she would have loved it. Why wouldn't you bring her in? 
I, they could have done a benefit concert. How many benefit concerts have we had with that? They could have had Jerry show up to do a benefit concert just to bail them out. But then Blair yeah. could still say, oh, it wasn't enough. We didn't raise enough money. Say, oh, well, yeah. too bad. Them's a break. She's like, no worry. Eastland will go on. I just bought it. Yeah. That, there. There you go. Well, we solved it again. We did. Season, I mean, it could have worked. They had some good actors, especially Juliette Lewis, that they plucked out of Oblivion and put into their show. Um, if the <laughs> other characters want to stick around, I think you're exactly right. And that's the faculty. She's lost all these faculty members. What am I going to do? And each one sort of reluctantly says, you know what? I'll sign on for one year and I'll be your guidance counselor, Joe. And I will, you know, I will teach journalism, Natalie, and I will teach acting. Everybody does their yeah. thing. Let George Clooney come back and teach Woodshop. <laughs> Let's have him teach Jim so he might be in a tank top and <laughs> little, little 80s shorts. Mm. But wow. Yeah. No, we're sending that back in the time machine, James. And I, I need to start bundling all this stuff up now that we have the whole complete set of the Let's Face the Facts show notes for all of the writers over the entire nine years to do a little bit better, please. And thank you. It's going to be quite, quite the volume. Will you do something with the reunion movie? Oh, yes, absolutely. This is perfect timing, perfect segue into next week. We're going to do a Betwixt-isode. Remember, for episode 100, I gave the Tutti Fruities on the Patreon the ability to send in sound bites and uh, talk about the episode. Well, I've asked them to send in sound bites about their favorite moments from the series and their least favorite moments from the series. The series, not the podcast. The series. Yes. I don't I don't want to hear people's least favorite thing about the podcast was season seven when adding Matthew jumped the shark. <laughs> no, stop. <laughs> Jesus Christ. But yeah, the Tutti Fruities are going to be sending me in sound clips. And so it's going to be a clips clip. What was I calling it? Not a clip of Palooza. Give me one second. I wrote it down. A cliptacular clipaganza or something. I don't know. I'm still working out the name of it. You thought either of those was better than Clippapalooza? I it's got two P's in it, David. That's and a Z. That's come that Clippapalooza. Come on. Clippapalooza. Yeah. Okay. All right. So we're gonna go with Clippapalooza. And then <laughs> <laughs> after that, that is next week. And then the two weeks after, we will be doing the Facts of Life reunion TV movie. We'll be bringing back Paul Padilla because Paul Padilla is the movie guy. Any TV movie with the facts of life, that's what Paul does. David, ask us our final thoughts for the last time. Okay. Let's start with our guest, James. What are your final thoughts for the last time? I still love the series. I, I think we were cheated out of the ending. We and the actors deserved for it. And that's too bad. And some of that is just the, the time period. That's how things sometimes were back then is um, things traded hands too many times and people lost track of what, what people actually liked about the show, what we actually cared about about the show. Um, Blair in her blue dress standing in the dorm looked fantastic. Um, the beginning of the episode when she's still trying to figure out where everybody's going to go sleep, she looks great. And, um, you know, just every once in a while, I, you just see how completely stunning that human being is. Um, mm. And that's that's what I'm going to remember from it is just Blair still looked great. <laughs> and, uh, 
she's what I was in it for from the beginning. Um, she's who I wanted to follow. And I, I least appreciate that they understood that part that, you know, Blair is fantastic. And I'm sorry she didn't get another series. I think it would have, um, you know, been a whole different life for Lisa Welchel to have that second series be a success. Yeah, she had the chops, that's for sure. Final thoughts for the final time. Matthew Arder. Well, James, I'm going to echo what you said, but I'm going to say it a little more eloquently, I think. Um, <laughs> in the fact, I'm going to go a little bit further and, and make a callback to what the wonderful, handsome James Brendlinger said at the very beginning, and it struck me. It, st it struck a chord, James. And you said, I made this show a priority. Oh. I made this show a priority. This show was a priority for me as a kid. And this last episode disrespected me as a viewer. I didn't think this originally, obviously, because I was, you know, six. But they disrespected the cast, I felt like. And I mean, you know, all's fair in love in Hollywood, I guess. And that's the biz. But I felt cheated. They didn't give us an ending. I never got to say goodbye to my girls. Nope. the way I wanted to, the way I did with the Golden Girls. I got to say goodbye to them. I got to say goodbye to B. Arthur. I can't watch the last episode of the Golden Girls to this day because watching B. Arthur leave is like watching my grandmother leave. Aww. And I can't watch it. I deserve that <laughs> with this show. <laughs> Why wouldn't you bring Edna Garrett back? Oh my God. How much would you have loved a panned out of that of that lobby with all those kids and Charlotte fucking Ray standing there? I'm back from the Peace Corps. I need a job. I need a house mother. Yes. And the yeah. Peace Corps was a two year commitment. She left at the beginning of season eight. Yep. This is the end of season nine. She totally could have come back. I'm so glad in this 80s sitcom that logic worked out. <laughs> Jesus Christ, David. But you're you're so right. Uh, you are so right. So that's 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 my take. Thank you, James, for putting it so clearly. Mm -hmm. <laughs> Guys, you know how much I love the show. I have stated up and down, left and right, that my highly critical approach on this podcast is because I love it so much and I want it to be the best show it possibly can be. Because to my little child's mind, it was the best show. So, yeah, it's been a little challenging to watch this shine get a little dull. And, yeah, they deserve better. We deserve better. There's really not much more to say. Everything else I've said about the show, I have said in exhaustive detail, over 200 episodes. That just, I, I can't believe it's been that long. It's impressive that you followed through the way you did. When you started, and we kind of did the math on how many years you'd be committing to doing this once a week. Um, not that I didn't believe in you. It's just most people I've seen start something like this. At some point, life gets in the way. There was a pandemic. People's jobs changed. We couldn't do it in person anymore. And you stuck with it, which is just thank you. It's so impressive. And it's, you know, you recorded them. They're always going to be out there unless you somehow pull them back. Nope. Um, so nope. it's gonna they're going to be out there. They're really always cool. going to be out there. 
And uh, thank you. I appreciate that. I am. I'm very proud that I did stick with it because uh, there are a lot of podcasts out there that just get kind of abandoned midstream, like you say, because life intervenes through no fault of anybody. But uh, yeah. And uh, yeah, before we send you on your way, James, I do want to mention here that the next show that we're doing, TV Talkaholics, it is now live up and running. It should be available on pretty much any podcatcher that you use to listen to the show. So uh, listeners, you can subscribe to that. It's everywhere under the social medias, under TV Talkaholics. And mark your calendars, March 15th is the magical day that we start dropping the back catalog of TV Talkaholics every week, starting with episode one and going straight through. Then by the end of the year, we'll start making some new ones. And at that point, it will shift over to a monthly show. So we hope you guys will uh, join us for the next adventure. And James, I cannot thank you enough for being a part of this adventure and for how much you have contributed to this show over the entire series. Thank you so much. Thank you for having me. And now for the last time, this is crazy. Oh my God. Thank you for listening and remember. The facts of life for me are all about Blair. Let's Face the Facts was created, produced, written, hosted, and edited by the wonderful David Almeida. Our theme song was beautifully arranged and recorded by Ned Wilkinson. Please visit facethefactspod.com for supplemental photos and videos, links to social media, and ways that you can support the show. And don't forget to subscribe, rate, and review. This is Matthew Arder saying tune in again next week for another thrilling episode of Let's Face the Facts. <laughs>